Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back to episode 142 of the Freight 360 Podcast. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Weather's beautiful. It's going to rain this afternoon, so the humidity's not too bad. Well, pretty nice. Orchard Park. No complaints. We've had we've been blessed with some nice, warm, bright, sunny weather recently, but it, thunderstorms are rolling through today, so it's going to cool down. Um, so it's funny too. So I, like, I'm my wife and I are going to be moving that later in the summer, and I was like, oh no, do we have to change the intro? But nope, I'm still going to be living in Orchard Park, just in a different neighborhood. So all all is good there. Um, still going to be living in the same town as the Bills, just a couple miles further away from the stadium. So, but hey, we got super exciting though. What's that? It's exciting though. Moving into a new house. Yeah, we've de- I definitely have outgrown where I live now. Uh, two kids later, so a dog and two kids later. So, uh, but hey, we got an awesome packed episode today. We're talking double brokering. It's happening. It's hot right now. We're going to go through all the. The myths, the truths, the the questions that people have, we're going to break it down and we're going to talk about what it is, how you can do the best you can to prevent it, um, you know, vetting tools and things like that. So, but first, welcome back to Freight 360. If you're brand new here, you happen to tune in a really, really good episode. So keep sharing us with your friends, leave that five-star review. It helps us rank good on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you're listening to your great podcast. So uh, quick sports update here tonight, which we record on Wednesdays. So two days from now when you hear this, uh, you'll know the results, but tonight is the match. Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes versus Tom your Brady. boy and Patrick and Mahomes. Rogers. Who do you like? Um... I think Rodgers is probably the most dominant golfer, but the format, it's a 12-hole shamble. I don't know if you're familiar with this. So tw- they picked 12 of the, they picked 12 holes on the, um, the course in Vegas, and I think it's mm-hmm. the win, whatever course. Um, so here's how they do it, though. Both twosomes, so everyone drives, right? Everyone tees off, and then each twosome has to, pick which drive they want to use and then they play basically um the best shot uh or no i'm sorry oh they, best they ball scramble out, they play out their ball all the way to the hole so it's kind of a mix of like best mm-hmm. ball and a scramble so huh. yeah they, they they pick the best drive and then they both have to go in um and it's match play then so a point if you win the hole or you half it so you get a half point if uh you split it if if it's tied so but it's the best score from Josh and Pat and the best score of Tom and Aaron. So it's Who'd you put your money on? I haven't yet. We still got like two and a half <laughs> hours before they, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Josh Allen, obviously. They're like I think it's like plus one forty, so they're the underdog. Um but it's also it's a charity. It's a fundraiser. So it's not like these guys are gonna yeah, go out there big... and like they're they're not playing in an NFL game right now. They're out right. there having fun, like who knows? And they've they, always been entertaining. Yeah. All of them that I've ever seen. Like, they're just shit talking. It's like you're playing golf with a bunch of your buddies. Like, it really does kind of get that feel, which I think is pretty cool. Yep. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll, we can report the uh, the turnout next week. So um, I did get up to speed on NHL. Wait, you got something else on golf? 
Yeah, in golf, actually. Shout out my little cousin, Darren Kowalski, is going to be playing in the final open qualifier on Monday at Kinsale. Um, if he, I, I think there's about 100 and some people in the field. They're expecting, I think, 15. So if he's in top 15, he'll play in the U.S. Open. Um, wow. And he's actually, this is really cool. He They play in threesomes. He's going to be playing with uh, Martin Laird, um, four-time PGA winner. Guy won the Shriners in, like last year, I think. Um, Luke uh, Luke Donald's gonna be playing there. I mean, it's just pretty cool to see like my little cousin's gonna be on the range with like I don't know a handful of like and there's like two or three major winners in the field. Like it's gonna be pretty cool. I'm I'm really excited for him. That's awesome. Zach Johnson's gonna be playing. Dude, that's pretty sweet. Nice. Um, NHL they're in the conference finals. Just just started off this week, and then NBA is in the the finals. Golden State versus the Celtics. So. Again, I don't really, don't really have a. <laughs> I don't really care on either Dog one, but I'm sure there's people out there that listen that they maybe they love Steph Curry or maybe they love the Celtics or, you know, maybe they're an Avalanche fan or Oilers. I don't. Hey, go team, whoever it is. I like I like to watch finals of anything. So if there's a you know if it gets to game whatever in the best of seven in either of those you know either of those NHL or NBA, I will watch any tournament or championship deciding game. To uh, just because it's good sports, so yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's your sports recap. Um, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT, and then we'll get into double brokering. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. And you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for 30 days of free of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. All right. So double brokering. Um, and as a, uh, as a side note here, there is a link in the show notes. There's a nice article from Carrier 411. Uh, written by one of the TIA folks, um, really good that breaks down double brokering. Uh, if you do some Googling too, there's like Freight Raves had a lot of good articles on it. They've they've talked with some of the big players like DAT and whatnot to to discuss double brokering in the last year because it has it has gotten out of control and it it costs millions and millions of dollars a year um, to to brokers out there that get and carriers that get burned in these schemes. So. Um, we're also, so I'm putting together a, a dispatch checklist for uh, my company, Pierce Worldwide, that I work for. We're going to also have it available to Freight360 folks. We'll get it up on our website um, here in the next couple of weeks. We're just putting the finishing touches on it. So let's talk, you know, what is double brokering and some of the different things that we see here. So a typical transaction, a shipper tenders a load to a freight broker. The freight broker will contract a trucking company to haul that load, and that's it, right? Now, double brokering, in a nutshell, is when the freight broker contracts a truck, and then to no one's transparent understanding or knowledge, that truck or that trucking company doesn't actually haul the load, they secretly hire another trucking company to haul that load for them. Um, so there's a lot of issues here. 
And I think the biggest the, the biggest risk for the broker, and again, re, read the Carrier 411 article that's in the show notes here. Um, think about stuff like this, right? You're, you're, as a freight broker, you have lost control of that load. You don't know what trucking company has been actually hired to, to haul it. You haven't been able to vet their insurance or vet them through a bunch of carrier vetting tools to know if they have the right safety standards, how long they've been in business, if they have the right equipment type that your customer requires. You also don't have physical, you know, the, the ability to physically track that truck. Because if, let's say you had, you know, you wanted to do GPS tracking um, and you sent a request out to the carrier you thought was hauling it, and they might give you a million excuses as to why it's not working, you have no idea where that load's at. So, um, Further on top of that, now you're paying a carrier that you think is hauling that load, but you have no idea if are they going to fall through and then pay the actual truck that hired it. So it, you know it puts a it puts brokers in a really really bad position. Um, so that's you know that is that is. But let's clearly state that too, right? Yes. Because and I think that's the part that like for listeners out there. So you know a normal transaction shipper your first party gives a load to a broker, broker books the truck, truck moves it. The way the law follows is the, the vehicle that loaded that freight, when it hits their truck, they have to be paid. Yes. Like that's the way the law follows. They can right? even go all the so, way back to the shipper if the broker yep. like, you know, gets mm-hmm. in a dispute over. And they, right, and that's exactly it, right? So like the law follows the person that moved it. The company that owned it, that needed it moved, Money has to get from them to the person that actually moved it. In a normal transaction, they have an agreement with a broker, we have an agreement with a carrier, we make sure they have the same requirements the shipper needs, right insurance, all of the right protocol, whatever their procurement requirements are, they move it, we get paid, we pay them. Now, in the double brokering side, that's where you know we get the load from our shipper, we post the load up and uh, you know a carrier calls us and we vet that carrier and they look like a reputable carrier. But then unbeknownst to us, they don't tell us, and they then either hand that load to another person maybe in the same building that has a brokerage license, or maybe they just illegally book a truck on it and don't tell anybody. But the point remains is where that load goes after it, we don't know. So our communication stops with the person we thought was moving it. Now, again, going back, like the law follows that the person that ultimately moved the freight needs to be paid. So where companies get burned is, hey, my shipper knows the load was picked up and it was delivered. So from their point of view, they seem like everything's fine. I'm the broker, I got paid when the load was delivered or they sent me, you know, I invoiced them, whatnot. You know, I pay the party I thought moved it. Well, where the fraud happens oftentimes is the person the broker paid that double brokered the load, they just keep the money and then they never pay the carrier. Yep. So that- and they just literally retain all of the profit. So what happens is, and this happened to somebody I know recently, we talked about this. If that company just goes MIA, folds, keeps the money, spends the money, does whatever, you as the broker, you still owe that carrier money, the carrier that actually moved it because the shipper paid you, it's your responsibility to pay the person that actually moved it. And if you didn't, and you paid somebody that ran away with your money, if that carrier comes back, the one that actually moved it to your shipper, the shipper's gonna look right back at you and go, you gotta pay them. That's your responsibility. Yep, and if you don't- And that's and where they, you end up- If, if you don't and yeah. they try to go after the shipper, you just lost a customer. So exactly. let, me, let me break down the intent because there are, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons people do this. and and you know methodologies but there's two real big ways that i think companies 
double broker and their their intended course of action. So one is total fraud and one is to just not get caught, but continue to do it. So total fraud mm-hmm. is what you just outlined. Um, carrier gets a load from broker and carrier double brokers it to another carrier and then just expects to receive their payment and never pay that money. And they only have about a 30 day window or you know maybe a little bit longer to, to run an operation like that before they're gonna get totally busted. And that's why you see these, mm-hmm. these double brokering schemes, they pop, these companies, they just pop around. It's like playing whack-a-mole. Um, you're just constantly trying to like find these carrier or these carriers, report them, get them on a double broker list and blacklist them and all that. But they pop up and they shut down and they reopen up under a different company so quickly that they, they just keep doing it over and over and over. I actually, I read something on it today that there's a, um, there's a, I mean, we hear Glendale, California, that, that typical Southern California area is where a lot of these folks, these operations have, have um, happened out of. They, there was like a stat that like, there was more, there was more like new carrier authorities set up on a single street in Glendale than people or than houses that live there. Like that's how quickly they're like, they're registering like 10, 12, 20 different authorities and they just get, they're gonna go through one, boom, shut it down. Go to the next one, boom, shut it yep. down. Now, I read a thing today that talked about they would intentionally hire foreigners from like Armenia or you know just random places over in, in Eastern Europe or um, Southeast or Southwest Asia and they would pay them like really, really low commission, like, hey, um, I don't know, whatever. They pay them just a little bit of money, like, hey, get as many of these double brokers as you can and I'll pay you X amount of money for it. And the money to them as foreigners, it was like, wow, I can do this and this is great money. I'll never make this kind of money back home. So it's like, it's a legitimate scam that these people do knowing that, hey, I can make a quick buck doing it and then they, they're on to the next company. So that- Well, and here's a, that well, to go further on that, right? Yeah, and like I, I've talked, to, I talked to somebody this morning that um, had opened an, op, an office overseas, and some of the people they hired had formerly worked for you know some of these companies, right? And you know now they're doing business the right way, they're doing it ethically, but you know they were just talking about like how prevalent some of these companies are overseas, and it's exactly what you said. Like the exchange rate, money wise, is so different that like they can pay like such little money related to dollars, right? Like, you know, they could pay like, like I think the, the analogy, quarter, right? And if you, it was like less than that. It was like 10, it was like, it was like less than that. It was like their, the dollar equivalent compared to what that country was, was like a tenfold exchange rate. So they were basically paying them the equivalent, you know, in US dollars of like 10 or 15 bucks. But to them, it was like, you know, a hundred or $200 per shipment. So you've got people very incentivized to just double broker as many loads as they can, get paid, they don't care. There's no relationships yeah. there. The company's gonna fold it and turn into a new company in 45 days and they're gonna give them a new company that they're working so on. So that's your total fraud. Now you have the other side, um, which is where a legitimate trucking company is intends to double broker and just not get caught. They're still planning to pay the bills, Right, but they want to stay long-term in operation. So let's say they've got six trucks, but they took ten loads, and the intent is we'll put it as much as we can on our own trucks, and then we're gonna we're gonna double broker the rest and just hope that we don't get caught. And it's a way for us to increase our business without having to go out there and add more trucks or go find shippers directly. We're just gonna take loads off the boards or you know from a broker and just try to get away with it as long as we can. I, I literally had this happen uh, or there might be the instance where you know they ended up they thought they had a truck 
and they didn't. So instead of falling off the load and giving it back to the broker, they just double brokered it. And I had that happen last week. I had a guy, one of my agents, he's like, uh, it was like first time dealing with a double broker situation. And he's like, what do I do? What do I do? And I told him, I was like, don't go at him all hostile. Go at him with compassion and just like, hey man, I, I you know, just wanted to clarify something. You know, I know this load got delivered, but my, uh, you know, my customer said it was a different truck that showed up, and we're just trying to figure out. You know, did you you guys have like a sister company or something? And you know, we had this other this other carrier calling us, saying that they thought they were hauling our load, but it came from you. They're like, we're just trying to get the you know everything settled. And the guy totally admitted. He's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I was gonna be hauling it for you, and um, you know, my truck had to go into the shop, so the you know our dispatcher ended up just you know i thought he gave it to another one of the our drivers but apparently he just hired a, you know another company to do it so we didn't you know disappoint you and it's like he just admitted to double brokering right there yeah so um you know and, and a lot of times they maybe they don't that's not their intent from day one but they're they're dishonest enough or lacking just enough integrity to still go through with that and it's Still, it's double brokering. We lost visibility on it. Luckily, they still like we we caught it, and we just said like we're we're not going to pay you guys because you didn't haul it. We're just going to pay this other company directly, and you know we're gonna we're not we're not going to work with you anymore. Um, and they understood and they moved on. So it's like the intent behind it isn't always malicious, but the second that they go through and, and take that action, you should treat it all the exact same way, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's bad. And I will say, though, that there are companies that do that above board, and they do it honestly, and they're upfront about it. There are asset companies that have sister brokerages, and in their contracts, it states, you know, hey, you're paying for this asset, you know, under certain circumstances, we can, we may need to broker this load through this company. And, you know, like they're above board and they do that and they do that in a way so that they can, you know, maintain a certain level of service. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the dishonesty, the intentionally like, well, saying something and doing something completely different, telling them you're hauling the load and then giving it to a truck. Because again, that's where our liability falls as a broker. It's our job to make sure the truck we send meets the requirements of our customer. Yep. And if somebody else is sending it and you don't know that, then you genuinely don't even know if the job was done correctly, whether they had insurance at all, whether like exactly. if something happened, anything would be covered or anything like you have no clue. Absolutely, and that brings me to the next part is the legality, and this is where I wanna go through co-brokering, right? They're not the same. So co-brokering, broker gives load to another broker knowing that they are going to put it on a truck and that we're not the one putting it on a truck, but there's contracts in place, our customer is okay with it, us and the other broker are okay with it, and we're still we're gonna require that second broker to meet all the same criteria for a carrier that we would have. And I wanna read this this uh, blurb from the Carrier 411 article because there there is some benefit to co-brokering if it's done properly. So it says, uh, some brokers have developed niches that other brokers can use to their advantage in better servicing their customers. Some of these niches include border crossing, bonded freight, working with hazardous materials or dangerous goods, oversized equipment and local contracts. So think about that. The whole point here is to service the customer properly. So the customer might love working with me and my brokerage, but they have a need that I'm not specialized in, but I know that I can rely on this other brokerage that has a strong carrier network in, like they mentioned, oversized, right? Let's say I don't have a ton of oversized carriers 
in, or hazmat carriers for se, per se in my carrier network. So instead of me going out there and just trying to hunt some random carrier and set them up that I've never worked with before, I can set up a co-brokerage agreement. My customer knows that, hey, for this, I'm gonna leverage this other third-party logistics firm that I'm contracted with, and they have a really good network of carriers. So um, you know, we're gonna work together in conjunction with this, and hey, everyone knows about it, and we're servicing the customer in a very, very good, healthy way, right? That is co-brokering, and it's very, very effective when done uh, the right way. I've done a lot of that in my career when I worked at a bigger box brokerage. I did a lot of co-brokering. Um, one of my largest contracts, I would say, is co-brokered. The one with Crowley and the military. They were a broker. They are a 3PL. We provided additional support with them. We had a co-brokerage agreement for the military contract. Um, but also that I'd, I'd learned, you know, working in the big companies, they all have co-brokerage agreements. Like the TQLs, the CHs, the Coyotes, the Integrities. There is someone in every one of those companies that has the other large company as a customer and there's a co-brokerage agreement because like even, it doesn't matter what size you're in in this industry, it, it, even at the largest size, there are trucks that don't work with you. There are trucks that only work with certain carriers or certain brokerages. And these large companies have such commitments to their customers that they need the capacity of some of the other brokers. So, I mean, it's very common for all of the large companies to co-broker with some of the other large ones for their larger customers, right? The ones that, these customers are so big that no one company could supply all the transportation. The military is a good one. Walmart's yeah. another great one. Like a lot of these companies, the USPS, right? Like they all tend to work with other 3PLs, but again, it's an above board stated agreement where like all of the same regulations and all of the same things are being upheld through it. There's no like Chinese wall where nobody knows what's on the other side and everybody's on one side. Yeah. And I'll tell you when it comes to co-brokering, we do we do co-brokering. So there's broker A and broker B. Broker A is the broker that gives the load to broker B. Um, it's if you're in broker B's position, you have the most control because you're selecting that truck. Okay, that's why you will see brokers that work with other transportation companies, um, and it's it's more advantageous to be broker B than broker A in a lot of circumstances. Now the flip side. Um, I'm broker A in an LTL co-brokerage situation. So I can go to a, an LTL brokerage, co-broker them, have a contract in place, and I can leverage their LTL carriers and their LTL rates in a way that I would never be able to do for our customers myself. And that allows us, and we have a very small amount of LTL that we do at Pierce, but by, by getting with a large LTL brokerage and having that contract in place, our brokers can service their customers in a way that they couldn't otherwise do if we didn't have that in place. Because we won't, we can't, as it stands now, we can't get the LTL, LTL rates directly that these other massive uh, LTL brokerages can. So that's an example of being broker A versus broker B. Um, and I want to talk legality here. So co-brokering, the contract is in place and everyone's aware of it. It's a, it is a legal transaction and you're good to go. The TIA has um, a sample co-broker agreements in place uh, are available on their website or for members. You can check those out. A lot of you, like if you work at a bigger company, they likely have their own version of it. Um, now, double brokering, there's a lot of discussion about, well, is it technically illegal if I'm a broker slash carrier and it's the same authority, blah, blah, blah. Um, I read a really good article and I've gone back and forth on like, 
saying, well, sometimes it's illegal and sometimes it's technically not, but it's frowned upon. Um, DAT came right out and said, they did a big study on it, said like, even if you're not technically breaking like a DOT law or an FMCSA regulation, you're likely breaking some state or federal law in the form of like wire fraud or coer what it could be a number of things there's likely some law that you that you did illegally like if you have the transfer of money for a service that is not the service that you said it was for they like try to do catch all net with wire fraud right so i'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it's illegal you can challenge well, me and that's that. the thing I'm is i'm wrong but that's what i'm saying and and the, and the other side of this too like to get a little in the weeds I remember like really getting into some of our contracts when I was at the bigger company because I just had access to them and got to spend a lot of time with legal. And what you really saw in them was most of these agreements between the shippers and the broker or the shippers and the carriers, always with the shippers and the carriers I had seen this was, it specifically stated that that load and what they were paying for was the truck from that trucking company, right? So in your example, like the contract would like state like the loads are to be moved on assets owned by Pierce, right? Pierce Worldwide. And that's what the attorneys like kind of walked me through and they're like, like this is the part that they're in breach of when they double broker it. And that's why there's a big risk because if a carrier does that and just hands it to their brokerage department, right? They're in breach of that clause in that contract. And if something does go wrong and someone else sends in a truck, doesn't have the right insurance or whatever, that's what protects the shipper from the liability, which leaves the liability right on the broker, right? So to your point, maybe you're not in, you know, maybe you're not in, you know, violating a DOT or FMCSA law, but like you're definitely in breach of that agreement and yes. the terms of the agreement. Yep. And you know, those are done on state by state basis, I think, but still like you're not correct in the clear just because you're not in, you know, in violation of a DOT or FMCSA. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. Uh, it's the kind of the same thing, like, uh, not to talk about non-competes, but let's say you have a non-compete and you go work for another brokerage. It's not illegal for you. You're not committing a crime by going to work for another yes. brokerage, but you are in violation of a contract that you signed. Um, so that's where you're going to face your legal issues. So now let's talk about, um, you know, some carrier vetting tools that you can use on a regular basis. And these are strong recommendations, especially as double brokering has gotten more prevalent of what you can do. And the first one I want to mention is, and this has been floating around for the last couple of years, there's a double brokering like Excel list. And I, I can't remember exactly who's publishing it, but it's got a couple thousand MC numbers on there of folks that have been confirmed to have committed double brokering um, from brokers ourselves, right? We, we've we've been, fallen victim to it. We've reported them. They hop, they get on this list, and I can't remember where, where that list who, or who manages it or whatever. But um, yeah, someone started it like two years ago or something like. I that. think it. I think it was just a person at a brokerage, yeah. if I remember. I think yep. it was just somebody that had been compiling it in California and then just started sharing it, and then it just. Yep. So if you can find that list, I, I, I again, I'm pretty much giving you advice and not telling you how to do it, but there is a list out there. But there's also, you can have internal tracking inside of your own company, right? So if you work at a big company that has thousands of brokers, there's probably a way to see if that carrier has been um, marked as someone that had double brokered in the past. And likely if that's the case, they're probably already blacklist or you know do not use or whatever do not load in your TMS now first-time carrier you're not sure there are tools like um, let's say for example 
Carrier 411. You can go on there and see, you know, if they have negative reports on them. TIA Watchdog. You can see if there's any negative watchdog reports on them for double brokering. DAT, Google, right? Anywhere that you can get a report, if you, something smells fishy and you go through your normal vetting process, right? You want to make sure that uh, check through all those things. The other thing too, FMCSA's standard data that goes out to um, a lot of your carrier onboarding tools like Carrier Watch. So you can see number of trucks on there, right? So let's say mm-hmm. someone has one truck, but they're trying to take three loads from you this week. And you know it, Always check that. It's impossible. But that's just, mm-hmm. some people, they don't think to look at how many trucks does this company have? And you have one truck, you're based out of Glendale, California, and you're gonna take four loads from me this week that are all you know multi-day loads. It's impossible. It's in different places in the country. They're, they're going to double <laughs> broker. Um, so those are just those are some of the things to look at. What, so what do you typically, outside of what I just mentioned, um, is there anything that you're using outside of those? No, I use the same things you do. And the other one I use is um, uh, the one. No, the uh, I just started using. It's the one you've been using for Curious. a while. Kevin Hill's product. Yeah, yes. they're really good because they even have they mm-hmm. have the insight in there of. Like, yeah, his product's really good. We we have like their pro version, which has like unlimited users and all that stuff. But I think it's like, it's like 500 bucks a month and you can run, you can just check carriers out, but you can run lanes and get carrier suggestions and all that. But one of the things that does on a carrier's rating, it'll give an insight and it'll say, hmm, this trucking company's address is a house, a, you know, residential house. Mm-hmm. There's no terminal here. Um, no terminal, by the no way, yard. There are four brokerage MCs also registered to the same address, like Red Flag, right? So that's mm-hmm. a really cool one. That And they just released that one this year with that functionality to it. So I really like that one. Well, so. And here's the thing. I think, you know, obviously when you're starting out, you don't want to be buying every tool that's available. You're, you know, working to get the profitability. You don't want to overspend. But I mean, as soon as you've got some like viable business, like these are, I think, like must haves. I mean, the ability to vet your carriers, whether you're using, you know, like I've used my carrier packets with, you know, carrier lists. Um, all of the ones that you've mentioned, you should have at least one as soon as humanly possible because like, it's just such a large exposure and it really does have the ability to pretty much bankrupt any small company. Yeah. And even some like larger companies. I mean, it's a pretty big risk. Yep, it could be, I mean, this could be one, think about this, one load, double brokered, claim involved, carry doesn't have insurance, the double broker company folds, you're left yeah. sitting there, right? You could yeah. be held financially responsible or lose your biggest customer and that one transaction cost you your entire business. So this is- well, this That's is the other thing. Serious business. I think a lot of people, yeah, don't necessarily like think about it is like, how risky is your book of business? If you got 10 customers, all your business coming from one, two, 80% of it coming from one or two. Now imagine if one of those loads was double brokered and something goes wrong and you lose that, right? Like, and that's why I, I don't necessarily think that everybody spends time thinking about how inherently risky their portfolio of customers is, but almost all freight brokerages are like this. You make a lot of your profit from a smaller number of your customers. And that's why this risk has such larger implications if you do get jammed up and you end up 
in a situation like this. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. So let's turn to the, um, you know, we, we, we talked through the dis- dispatching checklist in the past. I'm going to pull up um, what we went through here just as a, as a refresher. So basic stuff, and I, we're going to break, we're going to drill down the double broker items on here, you know, things that'll help prevent that. But the stuff that we talked through on a previous episode and that we've talked about in our content for a while, um, pick up information like the address, date, time, does it require an appointment? Same thing with the delivery and any other stops. Uh, the freight information, commodity, trailer type, you know, does it require PPE, tarp straps, yada, yada. Um, carriers pay and extra payments, stuff like that. But now, Here's the items that are like really, really good to help you prevent double brokering, right? You want driver's name, cell phone, email, tractor number, trailer number, uh, a a secondary name and phone number for the dispatcher for that company. Um, Maybe you want the color of their truck, the make model of their truck, any um, anything on the side of the trailer that is um, easily identifiable, so you can give your customer heads up. Hey. They're gonna be pulling in there with a bright orange uh, 53 foot dry van, right? And that's if my you favorite ask these one. Questions like, <laughs> hey, you start asking these questions to someone that's intends to double broker, you let them know, like, hey, my customer at the shipper, they're going to check to verify the MC number on the side of the truck and the truck and trailer number, the color, yada yada. Yeah, you're you're you've just eliminated like 95% of the and you'll hear it too. Like you'll hear the pace and the tone of the conversation change when you ask that if they are. Like when you just go, hey, um, it's the same thing. I still, I'm in the same habit. I go through the same things like driver name, tractor, trailer, email, phone number. Hey, real quick, um, what, the side of his vehicle, what color's his truck? And is there any, um, even just to make is good. My, my shipper's just a real sticker like this. He always asks me to send over at least the color of the maker model so he can you know differentiate who's coming in. You'll hear them pause, hesitate, start hiccuping. Well, well uh, I don't really know which truck I'm gonna send. It might, might, let me just give you a call back in a minute or, or hold on one sec, like you'll hear it. Like, yep. because again, like, they have no idea what truck's coming. And if that genuinely does happen, they know that they're gonna go through a whole bunch of work to post this load up, find another truck, and then to have them be rejected at the end of the day, they're not gonna go through that work. That's their risk. Yeah. So you're basically calling their bluff. Yep, and you could, I mean, you did it, the way you you explained it was good. Like, hey, my customer is kind of specific about this stuff. You could even say, hey, they're trying to, they're trying to improve their efficiency with getting shipments or with getting trucks in and out of there a lot faster yep. and having them. This is a high priority shipment. Yep. I want him prioritize what colors his truck so I can make sure he keeps an eye out for it. Yep, exactly. Those little things right there will deter. I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna throw it out there like 95%. You'll, you'll probably still get some that will just lie to you and tell you and yeah. you know, Hope. But, but here's what you can do, right? If you're If you still have an inkling, you can ask your shipper if they've got, you know, if they have the free time to, to, to do this, which hopefully they do just for a quick minute, hey, just wanna make sure, is this the MC on the side of the truck that that showed up there? I wanna make sure that we, you know, we've got full visibility on this for you guys, blah, blah, blah. And you could have someone on the dock just go verify, yep, that's the right one, or no, actually another one showed up here. Because you might have time, I've had instances where the customer calls the broker and says, hey, um, you told me this was gonna show up, but we had a, a different company come here and pick up this load for us and it got loaded out. And now you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, they found the double brokering and now you yeah. look like 
uh, incompetent. What exactly? So, you know, the other thing is, and we didn't really talk about this, but I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, which loads do you think are the ones that are most often double brokered? It's a, but it's worth pointing out. Well, I'll, I will so, tell you that um, t- the time when double brokering happens, I think most often is going to be close to holidays. It's kind of the same thing. It's when people have their guard down a little bit and they're more susceptible to fraud. And the same thing happens with fuel advance fraud, usually like around holidays and stuff like that. Uh, what have you seen types of loads? Are th- these are probably the ones that are easiest to get your hands on. No, it's the uh, it's the ones where I've got the most money in them. So like if I've got a difficult lane for a shipper and let's say there's not a lot of trucks in that area, but like my customer needs it to go and the rate's five grand and I tell him like, look, if it's gotta go today, I need 6,500, I'll buy you a truck. And as soon as you start, and especially if you're posting up the money cause you got a difficult lane and you need to draw attention to it, those were the ones that I would always catch most people trying to double broker it. If I'm willing to pay six grand in a $5,000 lane cause I need it covered in a half an hour, 40 minutes before the dock leaves, like you will get an influx of calls. And when you ask these questions, you'll be able to see pretty quickly that they're double I'm gonna it. I'm gonna challenge you on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with what you just said, but I'm gonna add my caveat. The companies that fully intend to be fraudulent and not ever pay that carrier, I would tell you that it's probably the ones that are easiest to get your hands on and are easy lanes to cover. Whereas yes. um, if they if they intended to double broker or just not get caught and run that as part of their business operation, yes. Like the one that happened last week that I mentioned, it was a, a it's one of the mm-hmm. agents that has a lot of money in his customer's freight. Um, and he's like, man, they they hired a like they hired a truck for like three hundred bucks less than I was paying them. They made three hundred they were gonna make three hundred bucks off mm-hmm. of this double broker. Yeah. I'm like, that's exactly why like people do They're that. Doing. And um, you know, but I think the, but the fully fraudulent ones, like the the Glendale schemes, it's like a lot right. of like your lumber building materials, where it's like big load lists. They're heavy lanes. You can get it. You can you know, because they can say they're mm-hmm. going to pay a ton of money to a carrier. They yeah. find a truck and then they just never pay them, right? So yep. that's my caveat there. I'll say we're both right. Yeah, and here's the other thing. And the only reason I pointed that out was like I would also get jammed up because like the first time I got. I didn't wanna say I got burned, but like what happened was I booked a broker, right? Who told me he like was gonna send his own truck and they said they could get him there in an hour and then they didn't show up. And I'm like, well, I like overpaid for this. Why in the world would this guy not show up? And like, we found out the next day, like, well, what happened was, yeah, he was trying to make like $800 off of my load to book a cheaper truck. Well, what happened? He didn't get the truck. So I ended up with somebody I thought was on their way and nobody ended up showing up and I ended up looking incompetent because again, I didn't say like I fell victim to it, but I did. I booked somebody on it that was misrepresenting them and saying they were gonna send a truck and they were really just going to rebroker the load. And I I would always see it like on the Friday afternoons, the fallouts, the stuff that needs recovered because it needs delivered by Monday. Like when you're paying on the higher end of the market again, you're more inclined to get the people that are gonna double broker it and pick up your load. They're not necessarily just gonna not pay somebody. Like, but just things to keep an eye out for. Yep. Good stuff. That's our discussion on double brokering today. Um, I wanna give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group before we get into our, our fairly beefy Q&A. We got four questions today, but uh, hey, if you're if you're in the market for hiring right now, and obviously the great resignation has left a lot of folks looking to hire folks in their company, uh, Lean Solutions Group has Lean Staffing, one of their four divisions that will assist with putting bodies in seats. They've got trained 
professionals in their offices in Colombia, South America, that are trained and proficient in the transportation and freight brokerage workforce or workplace and industry. And um, you can go through an, an interview and selection process with them and get these folks up and running a lot faster than you would had you just hired somebody off the street. So check them out at leangroup.com to learn more about their staffing opportunities. We're gonna have Trey on next week to talk about lean and some of the stuff that's going on. And uh, so stay tuned for that one. So that is next week, right? That is next week. I All right. It is. Four up Q questions. Um, yeah, first one, ironically, how can I simplify the carrier onboarding process? I don't want to pay for carrier 411 or safer watch. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you better be paying for or using something that's going to give you this information because otherwise you're going to end up you might save a little bit of money right now and you'll end up getting nipped in the butt for thousands of dollars down the road and you'll wish you had paid for it. So FMCSA is free to do company snapshots and verify authority and safety stuff and all that. Um, if you can pay for at least one additional software or service that gives you insights in addition to that data, I would highly recommend it. You know, re reporting um, any negative uh, activity that's been listed on them, like freight guards or watchdog reports. What do you think? The other thing is, like, it's not even really possible to run a brokerage without that being automated, like the carrier onboarding. Like, and I and I say this from experience and like working with clients that are doing this by themselves. As soon as you get some loads, like a a handful of loads a week it just bogs you down onboarding carriers because what happens is you're onboarding carriers, they don't necessarily pick up the load. You might onboard two or three carriers sometimes to cover a load. That takes so much time and then like you're not getting to prospecting. Like I just don't feel like it's worth the money you save. Um, yep. And again, like if you know the couple hundred bucks is really gonna put you behind, like Maybe it's, maybe it's not the most opportune time to jump into just running a whole business. Like if you can't get the tools you need and you don't have enough budgeted or the ability to like put this on a credit card for a few months, you know, a zero inches credit card. If you're running a business, you're gonna need some of these tools. To me, this is like as important as a TMS and a load board. Because again, it's so prevalent fraud and just- Must have. It's everywhere. I'm gonna call it a must have. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think they're, you know, you can get you can get one product that does a lot of this for you um, yes. And you know, you don't have to have all 10, you know, there's probably 15 or 20 different services out there that will all claim to do the best at this, you know, at this carrier vetting and monitoring thing, but you should but have bare more. bones, you pointed out a couple of them anyway. FMCSA, the number of trucks versus the number of loads they're taking, you look at their out of service percentage. Look I mean- Look at their authority, how long have they been in business? Look at their authority, mm-hmm. Are they located in Southern California? No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's real stuff. So, um, next question, how should we share visibility of our customers and loads within our company when we have multiple brokers? Okay, this is a good one. Um, I think it depends on how you're structured. If you have, if, you, if let's say you have an agent-based or a branch-based model where everyone's operating independently, you shouldn't be sharing your load information across the company then. Like, you know, I. If I'm an agent or if I'm a branch manager, I should be able to see my loads, and my my people should be able to see our loads, but not another branch's loads. Um, customers, you know, 
you should be able to know if a customer is being used or not, in my opinion, just so you're not stepping on toes. Um, but you might also have a comp, uh, just a company where everyone all works under the same roof and kind of works together, and you probably would just share all that information openly. I don't. I don't it know. What, is, if you're, what do you think on this one? Well, if you're a pod versus like a pod model company where you've got like a dispatching or a coverage department and your sales brokers only do the customer facing thing. I think it's different. Um, cradle to the grave. Here's some pros and cons. Like the big companies where they're all cradle to the grave. Um, they, the one I used to, you used to be able to see everyone's customer. I believe they've done away with that because one, what happens is, is you can also see like the load volume for that customer. You can see a lot of other things, right? Which then like, people aren't necessarily okay with that happening. Because again, like if I've got a customer, I might not have all their locations. I don't need other brokers to know that's my customer. And to be honest, anyone covering my load really just needs to know the load details. They don't necessarily need to know who the customer is either. So I think that like, there are definitely ways that you can reduce visibility. I think if it's people covering your loads, they should be able to see all the customers so that they know who they're dealing with. But I don't think other sales brokers really necessarily need to see into other people's books of business. Now there's some value because when they see other brokers make a lot of money in an industry, it drives interest and it drives a lot of energy in there. So it is a two-edged sword. I mean, it does work both ways. But again, yeah, I've I also mean, been a victim where somebody's stolen customers from me or I'm, like other I'm locations. Say, they, could, they could download all the data and take it and steal it. Yeah. So I think a lot of it comes down to your company's culture and the level of trust you have. Um, Here's an interesting way that I've seen it done in the past is the different, I'll call them just branches, the different branches did not share specific details on customers or loads, but they would send out like a monthly ranking of, hey, here's the top 10 um, branches or whatever this month on load count or the top 10 branches that set up the most new customers or the top 10 branches that did the most in gross profit or margin percentage this past month. So you can kind of you can kind of rank rate yourself or rank yourself against everybody else, but you're not you're not disclosing too much information where it's, you know, potential for you know, someone to be dishonest or try to kind of steal someone's business. So, you know, it's all yeah, And it's not as straightforward as that because, and we've talked about this in other episodes, but like a lot of customers have a lot of, a lot of different offices. Not all of them are under the same legal name. Like some of them are literally considered different companies, but they're really part of your customer. And when other people can see that and they see you're doing well, it might be you have every intention in the world and you just don't have time to get to the other customers because you're doing a lot of business. And like, yep. to me, that's the worst is when somebody else just Swoops basically in. steals your work product after you know, you've yep. been putting all this time into it just because you're doing what you need to do. All right, next question. How do I handle a dispute for a late delivery if the dispatcher's story does not match the day or time on the BOL? So load gets delivered, receiver signs the bill lighting on whatever day, and I'm assuming what the dispatcher is saying, we no, we, we delivered on time, that BOL's wrong. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I would assume that the dispatcher is probably lying. Um, BOL is a legal yeah. document, right? If a right. BOL is signed clean and there's no damage, and then the receiver tries to say that it it, it is damaged, um, it gets messy. It gets super messy. But I'm going to take the cust or the receiver's word over the dispatcher. But again. These are subjective situations. I'm gonna to try to dig into this as much as possible. One of the things that's probably good practice is when your load, when driver calls you and says they're delivered, um, you know, 
tell them you need to BOL quickly and verify with your customer, right? You could just shoot off an email. Hey, um, tracking this has been delivered, all good. Um, let me know if you have any issues. And if they're like, they're not here yet, right? Mm-hmm. There you go. That's one thing you can do. You got anything else on that one? It sounds like a sounds like a dispatcher for a carrier that's just trying to trying to not yeah. get hit with late fees. That's pretty much it. I mean, I might make a phone call, but I usually confirm that things are delivered and they were delivered clean after to make sure that I have a record of when I had it confirmed yep. from my point of view. It shows you're doing your due diligence too. So, last question. Does the freight broker ensure the cargo is covered by the carrier's insurance? Absolutely. So it is our job to make sure that our customer's shipment is being transported on a carrier that has the insurance to cover it, right? So a lot of carriers have $100,000 in cargo insurance. Um, But what if your customer has high-valued shipment that's worth over $100,000? Like maybe they're hauling cars for like brand new cars, right? Maybe there's like six, you know, I don't know, Chevy Tahoe's on there. That's worth a lot more than $100,000, especially right now. They gotta mm-hmm. have auto hauling. They, they're typically, they're gonna have the right stuff, but it could be, you know, it could be that they're moving electronics that are high valued, or it could be, maybe it's a product that is um, excluded from a lot of insurance companies coverage. Like we've talked about seafood many times, right? It is our job to ensure that that commodity is covered by the carrier's insurance and that the value of it is covered. So yes. I mean, shit, even building materials I've seen go over six figures this year. I mean, like there's a lot of things that have, you know, crept up above the 100K mark that typically or historically hadn't been. Yep. Good episode, man, that's a wrap. I got nothing else. You got anything you wanna add in here? I do not. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. We haven't had Trey on in, it's been a couple of months. It was earlier, I think it was Q1 we yeah. had him on, but it'll be good. I'm a, I'm actually curious to see what his thoughts are with, uh, I'm hoping I could say that, hey, Trey, both of our quarterbacks won the uh, golf tournament last week. So We shall see. I'm actually yep. looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Any final thoughts, Mr. Kowalski? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Josh Allen and the tournament, or the the match, and go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.